Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. We're starting a new section of the Catechism, not quite a whole new section. The gratitude section, there are three parts, of course, to the Catechism, guilt, grace, and gratitude, sin, salvation, and service. We're in the service section. We've heard about our sin. We've seen how we're redeemed in Jesus Christ, and now we've been talking about how to be grateful, how to show our gratitude. And this section of the Catechism is made up essentially of two things, uh, the Ten Commandments, which we've already just finished, and then the Lord's Prayer, and that's where we're starting. So Lord's Day 45 is where we're starting. Uh, It's got three, or it's got four question and answers. We're going to recite three of them. We've already recited the fourth this morning. And so it's going to speak to us about prayer and about, about um, our need for prayer. And we have a, a lovely example of that here in Psalm 27. I suppose in every one of the Psalms, which are in so many ways prayers, we have an example. But this is a good one. And, and notice then how often uh, the psalmist speaks about seeking the Lord, about calling out, re- making requests of the Lord, that sort of thing, uh, as we read through this psalm together, which is a psalm of David. Hear the word then of God. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says, if you seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me. O God, my Savior, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I'm still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. As for the reading of God's holy word, then we turn either in our Trinity Psalter hymnals to page 893-94 or in our forms and prayers books to 252 and technically 253, but we're not going to recite the Lord's Prayer as we did this morning. We're going to omit that, but that will become our study for the next number of Sundays. From Lord's Day 46 to Lord's Day 52, we'll study the petitions, the portions, the elements of the Lord's Prayer. But first we'll do an introductory discussion of what prayer is, and that's where we're at on page, or sorry, in Lord's Day 52, 45 rather, uh, question answer 116. So let's recite these answers together. Why do Christians need to pray? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us 
and also because God will give his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who continually and with heartfelt longing ask God for these gifts and thank him for them. How does God want us to pray so that he will listen to us? First, we must pray from the heart to no other than the one true God who has revealed himself to us in his word, asking for everything he has commanded us to ask of him. Second, we must fully recognize our need and misery so that we humble ourselves in God's majestic presence. Third, we must rest on this unshakable foundation. Even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord, as he has promised us in his word. And what has God commanded us to ask of him? Everything we need, spiritually and physically, as embraced in the prayer Christ our Lord himself taught us. And then follows the Lord's Prayer. This the church does believe. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, as we open up the topic of prayer this afternoon, we do so in the context of a society or a culture that challenges our understanding of prayer. The arguments that are leveled against the Christian faith or against the Christian church include sort of the the argument that essentially it is a meaningless or a pointless exercise. And that argument finds its maybe most pointed application on the question of prayer. That is, we're told that praying is really, well, I suppose it's good for you if it makes you feel better. And if it gives you some sort of peace of mind, well, then it has some value. But it is not altogether useful. It can't change anything. It can't alter the future. It can't make people healthier or wealthier. Church people are not healthier. They're not less prone to hospital visits. They're not made better in any meaningful or statistical way that demonstrates the value of prayer. The challenges, the burdens, the sorrows of life that are experienced by the average person in the world are experienced by the church as well, such that the world says to us, those who are opposed to the faith say to us, see, don't you realize prayer is a meaningless exercise? It doesn't change anything. And as Christians, we are challenged by that, by that thought, by that argument, not because we agree with the world, not because the world has suddenly found such great arguments or such great truths, but because we wonder too, on some level, whether or not our praying has some meaningful impact upon who God is or upon what God does. And we, we wonder that precisely because we know how great and glorious God is because we know that he's sovereign over all of life, because he's ordered all things, that he's foreknown all things. He is the God who predestines all men according to his plan and purpose. He's the God who counts the hairs on our heads as we read in scripture. There there are so many things. He's the God of the wind and the waves. So now if he has planned from before the foundations of the world a a particular windstorm like we had one last night, 
And now imagine that if we were on Lake Ontario or if we were out boating somewhere and, and these, this wind had picked up, planned by God so long ago, controlled by God in His power, and we're on our boat and we're being tossed to and fro and we cry out and say, God, save us, have mercy upon us and keep us from drowning. Why would we think that God who's planned this entire business would be moved or change His mind just because we ask? Do we think that somehow miraculously a quiet spot where there's no wind will be created for us? Do we think that God will work in some mysterious way? Do we not at least have to wrestle with the idea that God already sent the wind so maybe the wind is good and maybe we should just accept it and stoically just bow our heads before what God has planned? Should, should that be the posture of the Christian? That when the trials and tribulations of this world come, we just accept them with grim determinism? God's in control, we tell ourselves. There's nothing we can do about it. Just grin and bear it. You see, if prayers do not alter our experience of life, then why do we pray? And if they do alter God's mind, if they do manage to change God's mind, maybe because we've said them so passionately or powerfully, maybe because we've gotten so many other people involved in our prayer, sometimes we do that. We, we ask for prayers requests, and maybe if we get enough people, if we get enough good people praying for us, maybe God will change his mind. Maybe the plan that he had in place will be altered. If that's the case, what does that say about God and His power and His sovereignty and His will? And The point only is, is that as Christians, we too can, within the context of our own faith, wonder about what the point of prayer is. Does it accomplish anything? Or is it just an exercise of obedience intended to somehow or another give us a peace of mind, nothing more? So when the world comes to us and says, look, your faith has no impact on experience, we're in a position as Christians sometimes to agree with, that, with them, which is why it's good that we have opportunity regularly to come back and study the matter of prayer in our study of the Heidelberg Catechism, to study again why and how God encourages us to pray, because God does want us to pray, that we know. It is God who teaches us to pray. It is God who identifies prayer as the most important part of what He wants from us, His children. That's how the Catechism begins, doesn't it? Those are those powerful words, and I don't think we always appreciate how powerful those words are. That it is the most important part of the thankfulness that God requires of us. Is that what you perceive in the Christian life? Is that how you approach your Christian walk with the Lord? Don't you think that you would probably think that obedience is the most important part of what God wants from you? Or worship, maybe worship better, that we come together to worship. Isn't that more important than anything else? Or, or maybe sacrificing ourselves, suffering under the cross, as Jesus Christ commands us to do, maybe that's in the most important part of what it means to be a Christian. What is the most important thing you do as a Christian on any given day? The Catechism says praying. Praying is more important than your obedience, more important than your worship, more important than your sacrifice. How can that be? How can that be what God desires the most from you?
Well, really, all you have to do is go back to the very beginning of the Bible to discover why that is. Go back to when God created man and woman. Go back to when he fellowshiped with them, when he walked with them in the cool of the evening in the Garden of Eden. God liked to talk, liked to listen. Indeed, he liked to listen to his people. Think about Genesis 18 at verse 17 when God comes to speak with Abram and he's going to destroy, you remember Sodom and Gomorrah, the, the, the judgment of God's going to fall upon them and they're walking sort of that way, God's walking with Abram and then he asks himself, God does, God asks himself, shall I hide from Abram what I'm about to do? And then you remember how if there's 50, Lord, if there's 40, if there's 30, right? Mo, Abram uh, rather talks back to God interacts with God, and God patiently has this conversation with his servant. Or think of what God says in Psalm 50, in the verses 14 through 15. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice your thank offerings to God, fulfill your vows to the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble. That's what God wants us to see. He wants us to cry out to Him. He wants us to acknowledge Him as our hope, as our confidence, as our strength, as our power. Indeed, we could go on and on in this respect. Throughout the Scriptures, we could see how it is that God desires that His people trust in Him. You could read from Psalm 116 uh, in the verses 12 through 19, or here in Proverbs 15, at verse 8, the Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. 1 Thessalonians 4 in the verses 16 through 18. On and on we can go because throughout the Bible, there is this persistent theme of God's loving to fellowship, to talk, to listen, to interact with us, his people. And that should hardly be too surprising to any of us who know God precisely because we know that he is, even as he calls himself, our heavenly father. He loves to fellowship with us. What does Jesus say in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7 and verse 9 through 11? Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who who ask him. If we love to listen to our children, if we as parents love to have it when, when, when our child comes and says, I got a question for you, dad or mama. I need some advice. Can you help me out? If we love it when they come home from school and they tell us about their day, if we see in that conversation a most precious experience of the bond of parent and child, if, if in our own marriages, if we love to spend time together, if when we're, we're pursuing a relationship with someone, we, we do so by conversing. We talk to them, they talk to us, we listen, we learn. If fellowship and communication lie so much at the heart of all of our relationships as human beings, as image bearers of God, then why wouldn't we expect the same for our God in relation to us, his children? We love to talk, to listen to our children. God loves to talk and listen to his children too. 
so that whatever else we're going to say about prayer, whatever else the catechism is going to teach us about prayer, this is where we have to start. This is the point at which we have to begin, that God says, I want to hear from you. I want you to pray to me. I want you to trust me. I want you to look to me for help and strength. I desire that you should speak to me. And that alone, that alone should be enough to bring us running into the very throne room of grace. If there the living God, the creator of heaven and earth, has opened for us a way through Jesus Christ, his son, through his sacrifice on the cross, removing that curtain so that we can just come in. We don't have to send a representative in for us like the high priest. We can go into the very presence of God. If God has gone to such lengths to open up a way for us, poor sinners that we are, so that we can stand before him without fear, that we can stand before him and know that he's going to answer us. If he's gone to such great lengths to ensure that we can speak to him, then can we not begin to see how important it is to him? And if it's important to him, if it is the most important part of our thankfulness to the Father, then shouldn't we take advantage of that gift? Shouldn't we take advantage of that moment considering that all we need to do is pray? There's no going on a pilgrimage here. There's no having to, to, to perform some great act or mighty event. You can pray as you're driving. You can pray as you're walking. You can pray as you're laying in bed. The Lord loves to hear from us because He loves us. And we ought to also love to speak to him. When a child runs home to tell dad or mom about what happened in their day, it's because they love their parents. So it is for the child of God who loves their father. So that's the first thing that we need to note, that God encourages us to pray. It's what he wants from us. It's what he's obtained for us through the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. But that's not the only thing that we are to know about prayer. As the Catechism rushes on to say in its question and answer 117, how does God want us to pray so that He will listen to us? Now that question alone can be a bit grating upon our ears just considering what we've heard. At first we're told, oh, this is what the Lord loves for you to do. Come and talk to Him. Come and just stand in his presence and fellowship with him. And now we're being told that there are rules that we have to follow in order to get into his presence, in order to gain an audience. That's what it says, doesn't it? How does God want us to pray so that he will listen to us? There's an implication, isn't there? An implication in the question that God does not listen to every prayer. You know the saying that there are no atheists in foxholes, the idea being that when your life is about to be taken from you, when you fear for your life, you will find yourself willing to pray to God. Well, good, we're thankful for that, but does that mean God will listen to that prayer? The catechism's suggestion is no. No, no, there's only one way in which you can pray that will bring you into the very presence of God, that will allow you access and give you confidence in the Lord. And what is that way? This is where we might get a little bit concerned. What are the protocols we have to follow? What are the rules that we have to, to do? 
What are the boxes we have to tick? Sometimes prayer can feel like that, right? When we have to pray, then when we fold our hands and close our eyes or whatever, whenever we're praying, sometimes we, we wonder if we're saying it right. Have you never had that experience? Are you saying it right? Are you asking in the right way? Maybe you haven't had that when you've been praying personally, but now if you're asked to pray publicly, that's one of those terrifying things that, that really can be a weight upon our hearts. And, and, and it's because we take prayer so seriously and we, we understand the importance of it. We don't want to make a mistake. We don't want to say something inappropriate. And so if we're in a room and suddenly we're the one that has to pray, somebody says, would you close in prayer for us? Then we're worried about, the, am I saying the right words? Am I doing it the right way? Will people think less of me or, or will they recognize my piety or my impiety? So we, we do sometimes, don't we think that there are these boxes we have to tick, that there are these rules we have to follow? Well, what are the rules that the Bible gives us? What are the rules that this, the catechism shows to us that we need to follow in order to be confident that the Lord will indeed hear our prayer? What are the boxes we have to tick? Well, says the catechism, the first thing you have to do is you have to pray from the heart. Well, now that's already a challenging statement because that's hardly a box you can tick, is it? Can you say, I've prayed from the heart as an act? Is that something you can force yourself to do? Is that a work that you can accomplish? You have to pray from your heart to the God of Scripture according to His Word. That is, you have to, you have to pray because you know who He is. You know what He's done for you. You know his love and his mercy and his power. You need to pray to God as he's revealed himself. That's not a box you can tick, is it? That's a relationship that you need to have. That's a dependence. That's a trust. And that's why we shouldn't be surprised at the second quality that we are to have, the second way we are to pray in order for God to hear us, is humbly. Humbly recognizing that we're not in a position of leverage or equality or able to make demands. We don't come to God like a business partner where we make deals with Him. Sometimes that's a, a bit of a trope, isn't it? A bit of a thing where we, you see on a movie or in a TV series maybe then somebody's praying and they say to God, well, if you do this, then I'll do that. Well, there's none of that. There's none of that kind of bartering with God. No, there's only coming before God in humility. Now, again, humility is not a box you can tick. You can't say, I've done humility. You have to be humble. You have to be someone who knows the greatness of your God, who knows his love and power for you, and knows it so deeply precisely because you don't have any reason for God to bless you. Because you are a sinner, because you are struggling in your own piety, because you are not as righteous as you ought to be, because of what Lord is 844 said, that even the holiest among us is but a small beginning of the righteousness required of us. You have to come to God in prayer with that in your heart and mind. You have to trust from the heart. You have to humble yourself 
You have to acknowledge your need. And then you have to finally rest in Jesus. That's the third requirement. That's the third requirement. And what a requirement it is. To rest in Jesus. The Son of God in the flesh died on the cross, rose again, sits at the Father's right hand right now on your behalf, mediating, interceding for you. Do you trust Him? Do you trust that Jesus' sacrifice is enough for you? Do you trust that His sacrifice has opened a way for you? Do you believe that Jesus Christ has purchased you? Before you answer that question, listen to the language of the catechism. We must rest on this unshakable foundation that even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord as He has promised us in His Word. Every time do you pray, do you believe, do you know, are you confident that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Sovereign who rules over all things and who runs and controls all things, that He is listening to you, that you have His attention, that He wants to hear what you have to say? Are you absolutely certain that He loves you in Jesus Christ? So again, we have a problem here because there's no box ticking, is there? There's no works righteousness here. There's no qualifications that you need in order to gain access to the Father. You need to acknowledge Him, you need to humble yourself, and you need to trust in Jesus Christ. That is, you need to be a Christian. Who is it that God listens to? Does He listen to everybody? No, He doesn't listen to everybody. He only listens to those who acknowledge Him. That makes sense, doesn't it? who humble themselves before Him. Again, can you imagine marching into God's presence and saying, you have to do what I say? I don't think He'd listen to you. I don't think we would listen to somebody who walked into our office doing that. And those people that do these things have to rest in Jesus Christ. But now if you're doing those things, if your heart trusts in the Lord, if your Spirit acknowledges your sinfulness if your, if your whole life is resting in Jesus Christ. Then here's the thing. Your prayer may not be the most eloquent. It may, be not, may not be the most profound. It may not be worded just right. It may not be the kind of thing people write down and record because they go, that was amazing. But your Father in Heaven hears it. The Spirit of His, or His Spirit rather, translates it for you into groans inaccessible, as the Apostle says in Romans 8, so that you can be certain that your faltering and failing prayer, and nobody prays perfectly. Everybody's prayers are faltering and failing. Everybody's prayers have but a small beginning of the righteousness required of them. So God takes this weak and frail prayer and He translates it to glory. And he hears it, and he answers it, for he is your God and Father. That's the wonder of the privilege of marriage. That's the wonder of our God in Jesus Christ. And, and that's the way we as Christians ought to orient ourselves to the Father. Let me offer to you an analogy of how we sometimes live. It's a fairly modern analogy, so this might work for some of the uh, 
younger parents and that sort of thing. But think of those times when your son or daughter uh, could hardly give you the time of day. Well, maybe that's a fairly common analogy. But they're scrolling through their Insta feed. Now that's where it gets modern. And so they can't lift their eyes off their phone. They can't give you the time. They can hardly even, they grunt and they mm, mm, and that sort of thing. I think of those lovely teen years that we all went through when we realized our parents had no idea about life and they didn't know what was going on and, and we didn't really want to listen to them or interact with them. Isn't that so often, isn't that too often, how our relationship with God in prayer is? We rip off a prayer because it's what we need to do. We're about to have supper and so we pray. Or we are laying in bed at night and it's the end of the night and so we rip off a prayer. We say a few words and that's that. But we can't really be bothered to talk to God. We can't really be bothered to put aside all of the distractions, to put away all of the things and just just for a moment talk to God. We don't want our kids to treat us that way. Why would we expect God to treat us or want to treat us that way? That this isn't to suggest that praying involves some secret codes that unlock blessing when spoke in the right order. It's just that there is an attitude, an orientation, a, a realization of grace in Jesus Christ that needs to so infuse the way that we pray that we don't we don't hedge our bets. We don't stand on our self-righteousness. We don't doubt God's sovereign grace. Maybe the simplest way to, to sort of illustrate this is just to think about how we pray and how often when we pray, we pray by folding our hands and closing our eyes. Not all the time, but a lot of the time. Isn't, it that, isn't that what we do? Is that what, and tonight when we sit down at dinner, then, then we're all going to, you know, I always said to our kids, let's fold our hands and close our eyes. And then they knew it was time to pray. Now, why? Why is that? You know, during the day I pray a lot, and, and um, I, I certainly don't pray with hands folded and eyes closed. I'm driving, I'm walking, I'm in the office. You know, it's, it's not always possible to fold your hands and close your eyes. But why do we do that? Why, do we, why is that the posture of prayer? Why would we do that at the end of this message? Well, we close our eyes because... We want to remove distractions. We want to just focus on God. It's not that we're thinking about some image of God. It's certainly not that we're breaking the seventh, second commandment, rather, by trying to, to envision him in some way. We're just, we're just removing all the other distractions. And when we fold our hands, we remind ourselves that we have nothing to give to God, nothing to bring before him that we can barter for a good answer. We're coming empty-handed. So every time we sort of bow our heads and acknowledge that we're sinners, have nothing to give to God, cling only to Jesus Christ, when we remove all those distractions by closing our eyes, we're just reminding ourselves of what the catechism here teaches. We're just reminding ourselves, that's right, I've got to be focused on this, the loving, living God. I've got to be humble, and I've got to trust and so when we do that, we just remind our hearts and our minds of what it means to pray. And what it means that the Lord will listen to us 
and answer us, for he will answer us every time, always, although not always the way that we expect. That's maybe the, the challenge, the greatest challenge we have when it comes to praying. If God wants us to pray and if he shows us the way to pray, why don't we always get what we pray for? Well, before we answer that question, it might be good to ask ourselves a couple of other questions. First off, what is our expectation? What is our expectation for God to do? When you ask God to do something, does he have to do it now? Does he have to do it your way? If he doesn't do it the way you've asked, has, that proven, has he proven to be a failure? What if he wants you to be like the persistent neighbor of Luke 11, coming to him and showing that you are in, indeed dependent upon him for these things? So what's your expert? What are you asking for? What do you want from him? And then what's your t- frame of reference? What is your, your time referent, for example? Does God have to answer you now, or can he answer you in a year's time? What about material, or, or what if... Um, What if you ask for a material blessing, but the Lord gives you a spiritual one instead? Does the Lord need to answer only in this life? In a way that makes this life better? What if you pray for healing from someone, for someone, and the Lord answers that prayer by translating them into glory? That's an answer to that prayer. He's given them healing, perfect healing. Is that acceptable to you? Or is that not something you want? Really, that's the challenge we have when it comes to praying. The the question is not, will the Lord answer us? He will. He has sent us His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. He is going to provide. Again, Matthew 7, if you don't give your children stones for bread, why would God not bless you? The question is not, will the Lord bless us? The question is, what will the Lord bless us with? What do we need to pray for? Too often we come to God and assume that what we want is what God should hear. That He should answer us because our demand is very specific and very particular. But maybe we need to ask ourselves, what does the Lord want us to pray for? What does the Lord teach us to pray for? If we're going to come into His presence and if we're going to make requests of Him, What requests does he encourage us to ask him for? Instead of putting our expectation on him, maybe we should put his expectation on us. Now, the good news is that when we do that, as the Catechism rightly teaches, the Lord encourages us to pray for everything we need, both physically and spiritually. Now, it is worth noting that our physical needs tend to be our emphasis in prayer. But we need to place a priority and an importance on spiritual needs as well. But either way, what we need to wrestle with is that question, need. Everything we need, physically and spiritually. What do you need? Maybe that's not the right question, because... Because in the end, we don't answer the question just in terms of what we need. You say, well, what do I need? I need food and clothing. Why? 
Why do you need those things? Well, you say, because, because I, I have to live. I have to be able to function within this world. Why? Isn't there a point in this life where you will get to where you don't need, where you don't even want food? Because you look forward to being in glory with God eternally. The question is not so much why, or rather, what do you need? It is why do you need it? And, and we need to here teach ourselves to think in terms of God's priority and certainly in terms of God's glory. Think of it. What do you need physically? What are the things that you need to ask God for this week physically? Protection as you drive, food and, and clothing and home, health and well-being, these sorts of things. Why? We tend to set our sights here too short. We think we need something today. We think we need to get to 80 or 90 years old, and that'll be fine, thank you very much. But why? Don't we rather need strength to serve? Don't we need God to protect and preserve us so that we can be a witness? Don't we also need God to give us opportunities for praise? Don't we need to glorify His name? Don't you see, what you need is going to de be defined by what you think life is all about, where you think you're going. And that's going to alter what you think you need. Which is why when Paul says to us in Colossians 4, verse 3, pray for us that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. He teaches us what his priority is. Pray for us. Pray for protection. Pray for blessing. Pray for, for strength and wealth and health and all the rest of these things. Why? So that a door may be opened for service to Christ. Are you praying for God to give you things so that you can just have them? Or are you praying for God to give you things so that you can serve Him? There's an enormous difference between those two things. The same is true for the matter spiritual. We tend to orient in matters spiritual in too self-centered a way. We think we need to feel good about ourselves or that we need to be able to handle the challenges that we face. But what if the thing that we need is to know the sufficiency of Christ in all of moments? What if what the thing we need to do or to know is the wonder of the Lord in our, in our weakness? Think about why so often the prayers of the New Testament church are prayers for spiritual things that are far more profound than we tend to pray for. The Apostle Paul gives to us that very well-known prayer of Ephesians 3. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name, and I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God." Have you ever prayed that way? Has that been your prayer for yourself? 
for your family, for your loved ones, for your church. Read the prayers of the New Testament and see how often they seek these kinds of things. Not for ourselves. Oh yes, we grow and develop and mature in these moments, but for the glory of God. So we have to ask ourselves, what do we need? And what we need ultimately is entirely wrapped up in the person and work of our God. We need to know Him. We need to love Him. We need to experience His grace and goodness. We need to exalt and glorify His name. And when that's our priority, our prayer life will match it. That's what we need to see in this opening Lord's Day on the question of prayer. Why why do we struggle as a community with prayer? Why do we not more fulsomely pray as we ought? Maybe it's because we've missed the orientation of salvation as it's given to us in Christ. Maybe we need to remind ourselves, my only comfort in life and in death is that I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. My job, my life, is all to be lived in praise of Him. And when I orient, when I commit to that as a believer, I will find myself quickly coming to God in prayer, saying, Lord, help me. Give me insight. Give me strength. Bless me. Bless those around me. When we orient ourselves to the glory of God, prayer will be the most important part of our thankfulness. Let's ask the Lord to help us do that, shall we? Merciful God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who loves prayer, who loves to hear from his children. And we acknowledge, Lord, that every one of our prayers is faltering and failing. We're not good at this. We constantly need to enter into, re-enter the schoolhouse of prayer. Now, as we do that again, Lord, as a congregation in this season, we pray that you would help us to to learn, to learn what it means to pray, to be be like the disciples of so long ago, Lord, who said, teach us how to pray. Help us to sit at your feet and learn. And so experience the rich blessing that is prayer. For we ask it in his name. Amen.